Welcome to MAGA Uncovered, episode four, Ron, episode four, uh, where we uncover the MAGA propaganda that is not covered by the mainstream media, causing unnecessary division and hatred in America. So our job here is just to try and expose the reality is that things are not really as bad as you might think. I'm Anthony Davis, and this is Ron Filipkowski. Hello. Good to see you again, Anthony. Great to see you, Ron. Really kind of thrilled that we get the opportunity to meet like this each week. Uh, and I just hope that we never meet in person. <laughs> that's, that's one of my ambitions is just, okay. to, just to continue working remotely. Um, we're live here on the Midas Media Network. You can also subscribe to the audio podcast wherever you get yours, and that'll drop later tonight. Uh, earlier today, former special counsel John Durham was exposed during a committee hearing as a uh, Republican hack. Uh, that uh, is still going on as we speak. Uh, only yesterday, a January 6th rioter, Daniel Rodriguez, who the uh, judge called a one-man army of hate, received one of the stiffest sentences so far in the Justice Department's investigation of the Capitol riot. He got 12 and a half years. But, uh, Ron, I think we should start with the... It's, it's kind of the, the most incredible thing that could possibly happen to Donald Trump in the, in the lead-up, not just to him trying to you know, retain that or, or regain that presidency, but also the fact that he's being investigated, is that he just totally incriminated himself on television. Tell us about this. When I watch him talk about the case, I, as I've done for the last, I don't know, six months... Uh, I watch it through the prism of being a criminal defense attorney because I'm a criminal defense lawyer. I've been for 28 years, represent people in court every day. So when I'm watching this, I'm, I'm, just, it, I'm just so taken aback because I'm just flabbergasted that anyone charged with serious federal felonies would be talking about the case. But see, he's, he's in this catch-22 right now where I think he feels like, see, this is part of him running for president. By him running for president, he can claim that this is all election interference and it's being done for politics. But at the same time, he can't be like most criminal defendants and not talk about it because he's running for president. So he feels like he has to get out there and publicly defend the charges, even though that's the worst possible thing that you could do for a criminal case. What, what a criminal defense lawyer wants from their client is you want to wait until all the discovery comes in first and you go over the discovery with your client and you show them what the government has. Then, only then, do you then get his side of the story and go over his defenses and what he's going to say. You don't have the defendant out there giving his side of the story publicly before you even get discovery and know what the government has. But he hasn't got the story straight, right? So, so no. this is part of the problem is he doesn't have a lawyer long enough to make a plan, okay? That the lawyers are dropping off or they quit or he claims to have fired them. I just want to show the clip, really, the incriminating clip. There were several in the interview. And, I mean, it was a genius interview, I'll be honest. You know, I, don't, I very rarely credit Fox jur journalists with anything, but... This was, this was a, a beautiful bit of television where Trump basically admits that he didn't want to give the documents back because he was looking for his pants. Here it is. Please, please, could we have it back? And they please, asked for that. Because they have no... We they were did talking. ask for it. No. And they said, I gave can you give some, the documents back? And we were talking. And then they said they went to DOJ to subpoena you to get them Which back. they've never done before. Right. And, and in but all why fairness, not just hand them over then? Because I had 
boxes. I want to go through the boxes and get all my personal things out. I don't want to hand that over to Nara yet. And I was very busy, as you've sort of seen. Yeah, but I've according very, to the indictment, you then tell this aide to move to other locations after telling your lawyers to say you'd fully complied with the subpoena when you hadn't. But before I send boxes over, I have to take all of my things out. These boxes were interspersed with all sorts of things, uh, golf shirts, clothing, pants, shoes. There were many things. I would a say much, plans? much more, not that I know of, but not that I know of, but everything was declassified. And Biden didn't have the right to do that because he wasn't president. Nor did Mike Pence, by the way, have the right to do that because he wasn't president. Right, I'm not going to... Everything was declassified, including the pants, by the sounds of it. What you see at the end is classic Trump, though, where he then starts talking about Biden, Pence. And that's what other interviewers let him get away with, which is that's his... When he knows he's pinned down and he's screwed... He will try and change the subject or deflect off. And, and that was the great thing about Bear's interview is he was not letting him do that. As you can see, every time he tried to wiggle away, Bear got him right back on, on track. Um, I mean, he's, an, he's a pro. I mean, he's a conservative Republican, but he is an old school journalist. He is not like a lot of these other guys at Fox who lobbed Trump the softball interviews. Here's the problem that Trump has had for the last two years. He has done nothing but friendly interviews. And I know because I've watched all of them. He's done all these right-wing podcasts, Newsmax, OAN, all these Fox, all these people who just fawn over him, love him, Christian broadcasts, who let him ramble on and on. And I watch all these. And this was the very first time, and I include the CNN interview in those, this is the very first time that he was pinned down by a serious journalist and he came out looking just terrible. It, it, what, what was the interviewer's tactic? You say he's an old school journalist, but is he just sick of the lies? I mean, yeah. is this what's happening now at Fox? Is that I think they've yeah. been caught out and they're just like, okay, come on, let's just enough with this already. I think Bear had watched his colleagues like Hannity and all these other people on Fox interview him. And I think that it sickened him. And I think it sickened him to show his network just being completely in the tank for this guy and being partially responsible, getting sued, seeing people being fired at the network because of Trump, trying to shill for Trump. Um, and I think that Bear probably had enough. And he went into that interview. He was determined to play it straight and do it the right way. And you see it was a total disaster for Trump. I, I mean, I could show clips from that interview all afternoon, right? Because there was, you know, there was the, there was the bit about hiring the best people. And then he kind of says, well, that all of these people you, you've either fired or they've quit. It was just very, it was very interesting. What's it going to do for this investigation? What's it going to do? What's Jack Smith going to do with this interview? Here's the problem for Trump now is that it, and I've seen some of his lawyers that are favorable to Trump, that are Trump supporters, talk about this, which it was what they what their biggest problem is. is they said, well, I don't know whatever the best defense is going to be based on whatever the discovery and the evidence is. But I know whatever it is, we can't go with that because Trump has already locked himself in to a story now yeah. on tape. So these tapes are going to be played in his trial. That interview absolutely will be played in his trial. So they don't even need to worry about whether he's going to testify or not because they've, they've got the goods. They're going to they're gonna play his, his statements on, on it during the trial. So, 
So when the discovery comes in, his lawyers may want to go with one particular defense. The problem is Trump has already taken that away from him by with it running his mouth. And so they're just stuck with what he's saying. And what he's saying, by the way, has been about 12 different stories. He keeps changing it. And they're going to play all these different stories in court. What's the reaction of you know, the people around Trump? I mean, there's been some incredible articles about this, you know, The Atlantic and Rolling Stone. There's some really interesting articles about how, you know, his lawyers must have watched that interview with their, with their jaws open. But what's been the reaction, not just from his inner circle, but also from, like, his supporters to that? Because he basically admitted the crime. The best way you can tell when they hate something is when, they're, when they go silent. Yeah. You know, so during that interview, it was I mean, you know, I'm constantly monitoring their traffic. It they just went radio silent. It was it was like a a blank when he was indicted. It was the same kind of thing for a couple hours. And then they come out, you know, with their talking points. But um, it's still silent. I mean, <laughs> the only thing you hear from them is they're grumbling about Brett Baer and how he's a traitor and, yeah. you know, how he do, he betrayed them and double crossed them and and because he wants DeSantis or something. But there is n n none of them are saying, oh, that was a great interview for Trump. <laughs> There's nobody saying that. The thing that gets me, Ron, is that like nothing that comes out of Trump's mouth or the whole Republican platform, all the policies, all of the vitriol, all of the anger, like it's all based on nothing. Like it's all lies. The Russia calling it a hoax. You know, we're listening to to John Durham. You know, with he with being uh, you know uh, being interrogated, and he's basically admitting that everything in the Mueller report was true, and that you know that he hasn't got a leg to stand on. Right? He's been caught out. Adam Schiff's been kind of brilliant at, at uh, holding him to account. I mean, do you think there's ever going to be a point where the cult of Trump acknowledges that that everything that they're screaming about? from transgender athletes, of which there are like six in the whole country, the whole platform of hate is just built on lies. I mean, they have their playbook and, they, and their playbook is, I mean, just to give you the one example, you say there's six transgender, but what they will do is they will take those six and they will play them constantly, looping yeah. them. Con uh, the Leah, Leah, Leah Thomas is the one who won the NCAA. I mean, I've seen... 5,000 Leah Thomas clips, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, you know, if, if, a, if a black person commits a crime against a white person in San Francisco, we're going to, I'm going to see that on right-wing media 500 times. Yeah. So this is what they do. They, they'll take one incident, an isolated incident, or like the trans person who did one of one mass shooting, one of the mass shoot. Yeah. And of course they, they blow that up as, you know, it's the trans hormones that are making them killers. Um, that's that's their stock and trade is to take one isolated incident, blow it out of proportion, demagogue it, raise money off it and get elected. We weren't going to talk about RFK Jr. today, but I, I, let's just mention him very quickly, because this is really kind of heated up, hasn't it? And, and the idea that he has now got something to say. I was watching a clip of him earlier on doing some talk where he was saying that AIDS was caused by gay people taking poppers. I mean, the guy is bonkers. He is absolutely bonkers. And the media seems to want to kind of run with the idea that he is a serious candidate. 
He's not a serious person. He is a conspiracy theorist. He's in these groups with, you know, as we know, with not just Joe Rogan, but there's a whole bunch of them who, like, they love this stuff and they get off on it. And it's very dangerous to maintaining a kind of civil society, let alone the, vac the kind of anti-vax stuff. I mean, what's the latest with him and, and how does it connect to Elon Musk, who I, who I do want to talk about? So I, I mo I've monitored right-wing podcasts and all of that for a long time. And, and RFK Jr. is somebody who um, went through a long period of irrelevance where yeah. nobody paid any attention to him. He wasn't taken seriously. He sort of disappeared off the map. COVID comes along. He comes out with COVID conspiracies and back conspiracies. His last name is Kennedy. So he becomes a darling of the right-wing ecosystem. So I've watched over the last three years uh, RFK Jr. be on all, be a darling of, of the right. Uh, all, all these podcasts advancing. I've watched them all. I've posted very few because it was always my policy not to ever post vax conspiracies. I just didn't even want to do it. Yeah. So that's why I hardly ever posted RFK. So then I started seeing Bannon because he would go on Bannon's show, start egging him on to run for president. And this was maybe a, a year ago it started, you know, and Bannon was constantly, hey, you should, you would make a great candidate. So I know Bannon's whole thing is to create chaos and try and sow division. And so his thought was, well, we'll get him to run against Biden and he'll throw all these vaccine conspiracies out there and just create chaos. So this really was orchestrated by the right, his candidacy, and, and principally Steve Bannon. And I watched it happen in real time. This, this, this can, candidacy is a complete sham and it's a complete fraud. And I think both myself and the press have tried to ignore him, but I don't think we can anymore. I think we've just got to expose all of the, the mania from this guy's past, not just the recent stuff, from the past too that this guy is not a serious person. He, he's, he's clearly ill. Let's talk about Elon Musk, uh, because he, you know, I've said before on this show, he's not hiding who he is anymore. He's right. very much, you know, thrown his, thrown his political cards on the table. He, he's a baddie, not a goodie. I always thought he was a goodie. Turns out really bad, really bad. So what's he done now? Well, the biggest thing that he's doing is to Joe Biden. I mean, yeah. um, and, and to me, I consider this election interference. Uh, you know, they complain about election interference with Trump. Well, the censorship of Trump was not when he was running for president. Okay. It happened after January 6th is when he was censored. There was nobody on Twitter. Twitter was not placing warning labels on his tweets until after he lost the election and he was putting out all the election nonsense, the conspiracies. That was the first time that they started putting warnings on his tweets. What Musk is now doing, though, is, 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 is um, well, this is an example, is he's constantly, day after day, ridiculing Joe Biden. He has his community notes attaching rebuttals to each one of Biden's tweets, like fact-checking Biden's tweets. And then you see here, he, you know, when people ridicule um, Joe Biden, accuse him of being senile, et cetera, he chimes in with, with things like this. And, and if you know how Twitter works, when you reply to somebody's post, every person that's following you sees that person's post. So this might be a rather obscure account, this whole Mars catalog. I don't know, it probably is. But by, Ma by Musk replying to it, he has now put 
143 million eyeballs on that tweet. Let me and read that, it out. That's for why the, he's interfering with the election. Let me read it out for that for our um, audio listeners. It's, sure. So it's it's a small account, a random account that has written. Imagine how funny Joe Biden's tweets would be if he wrote them himself and posted without anyone looking them over. And then Elon Musk replies, "So epic." I mean that in itself, because it doesn't even make sense, right? Any any leader of the free world should have someone looking over their tweets, right? I mean, I, I'm sure that Barack Obama, who pretty much led the charge with with social media in his administration, didn't write a single of his own tweets w- without doing it by committee. So that, that that's really the point, isn't it? It's just it doesn't make any sense. It's just so stupid. But the dangerous part of it is that Elon amplifies it. So if he's going to spend the next 17 months ridiculing everything that Biden posts, posting rebuttals, making fun of him. I mean, Jack Dorsey never did that to Donald Trump. I mean, nobody yeah. at Twitter did that to Donald Trump during while he's running for president. So. Yeah, this is this is a serious problem. This is one man controlling the town square and just not censoring, but actively attacking and ridiculing one of the presidential candidates who happens to be Joe Biden. A, a couple of days ago was uh, Juneteenth, June 19th, and uh, the MAGA reaction to Juneteenth has been significant, to say the least. They do not like it. I'll, I'll start with a, a tweet from uh, Charlie Kirk. Um, and we'll kind of go from there. He says, if Juneteenth was really about emancipation, why not September 22nd, 1862, when Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, or January 1st, 1863, the proclamation took effect, or December 18th, 1865, with the ratification of the 13th Amendment? He says, because it's not about emancipation, which was one of America's great moral achievements, it's about creating a summertime race-based competitor two weeks before July 4th, which should be the most unifying civic holiday on the calendar. I mean, man, uh, the reason why they don't get it. The reason why they hate this is he gives it away there. And DeSantis did, too, said the same thing. Yeah, is is it they want a version of slavery to be presented to the American public, that is a myth. And and you heard there, you know, and DeSantis said the same thing. Emancipation is is a great achievement of the the US. It's like, you've robbed a bank and the bank robber (laughs) gave them, you know, I don't know, gives some of the money to charity. So it's a, he's a great guy, you know? I mean, that's basically what they're saying is that we did this horrific, terrible crime against humanity and then we bloodily stopped it, and we should be praised for that. But they I have mean, the same argument for the Confederacy as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's and, and so this is why they don't like Juneteenth is because it's actually like brings that back into the fore slavery. What they believe, what they want taught is that this is what the propaganda that they put out was the idea that slavery existed all over the world, everywhere. All these countries had it, and the U.S showed the way to end slavery. Slavery ended with us. And it was after we ended slavery that all these other countries around the world saw the light and ended it too, which is the exact opposite of the truth. The U.S. was one of the last civilized, developed countries in the world to outlaw slavery. Almost every country in Europe, except for one or two, had outlawed it decades before. 
So this is just an attempt to rewrite history. And that's why they hate Juneteenth is because it's it's presenting accurate history, which is what they don't like. The United States was also the last country to ground the Boeing 737 MAX after every other country, despite it killing 346 people. I mean, that always sticks with me. You know, it's like it's just something about... Maybe it's American exceptionalism, you know, the, this kind of notion that you can make any, you know, you can, by closing your eyes, it's like something didn't happen. Or by squinting, it's like it didn't quite exist. Well, and they have this also mentality it feeds into us where, when you criticize America or when you point out bad things about our history, you're anti-American. Mm. You hate America and you want to teach kids to hate America. No, we... You don't hate America. It's the old Oliver Cromwell thing, you know, when he had his portrait painted and, and the guy put the wart on his nose in the painting and he says, oh, no, no, no. He left it off and he said, no, no, paint the wart. Yeah. I want you to show me warts and all is the yeah. famous saying. Right. Well, you know, we have to accept who we are as a country. We have to understand both the highs and the lows, the good and the bad, and have an honest accounting and move forward and learn from it. They don't want that. They want a sanitized, mythologized version of who we are. But let's not also ignore the fact that they are racists yeah, and that well, they are white supremacists. Yeah. And, and America, as much as people hate to hear it, especially when a kind of British guy says it, <laughs> is that America was founded on, this, on a lot of racist principles and, and to maintain the, the white supremacy you know, with, with landowners and, and, and the rich. And it's, it's like, it's all baked in. And we're still having to deal with it all these years later. We still are. Yeah. It's, and, and now it's, it's just coded language. Some of it barely yeah. coded, um, but it still exists. It's, it's still a problem. And, uh, and uh, that's, it, it's just gotta be, we just gotta keep fighting back against it. We gotta push back against the propaganda. I was watching some Mike Flynn stuff earlier today because, you know, he's just, again, a bit like RFK Jr. He's just literally like on another planet. And I, I tweeted a clip of him basically out loud saying, we need to return this nation to becoming a Christian nation. Mm. And again, it's, 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 it's racism, it's white supremacy, and it's, and it's an extreme form of Christianity, not, not your not your communal garden Christianity. I mean, we're talking about a level of, of Christian fundamentalism, evangelical Christianity, like levels that are very much in the cult space and, and not in the, in, the, in the regular space. And, and isn't Let me tell you extremism something. the theme here? I have heard Michael Flynn a lot talk about religion in the Bible. I've heard Ron DeSantis talk about it. I've heard Donald Trump talk about it. Yeah. They all three share one thing in common. They don't know anything about the Bible. They don't know anything about real Christianity. Yeah. They pretend that they do. They repeat buzzwords. None of these three people, I mean, Flynn grew up in the church and Flynn grew up with his mom dragging him. His mom was very, very right Catholic, very pro-life. She was big in the pro-life movement in New England. Um, but what they know from religion is kind of rote stuff. It's not a true understanding of Christianity. So they use it to suit their needs. In other words, they use it, they use Christianity for politics and for their, to serve their political ends. Um, because 
the evangelicals are a powerful political movement. They're organized. They donate money. They show up. They're the worker bees of the Republican Party. And so all of these charlatans always want to tap into the evangelicals because it's it's the best way to mobilize an army. And that's what that's what Flynn is doing. How is the indoctrination of of an extremist religious belief system any different to the indoctrination that they are campaigning against of LGBTQ plus people being allowed to kind of well, live in society? It's, good it's versus like evil. Right. I, I don't yeah. you know, I have children in public school. I don't want my children, you know, we, we're not religious. We don't have faith. We, we, you know, live in the moment. We're humanists. I don't know what to call us. We don't need anything, you know. We just like Netflix. <laughs> but the point is I don't want my children indoctrinated into the church and into Christianity. They can choose to do that when they're older if they want to. And right. I wouldn't stop them. And that's the whole point of religious freedom. But it's this double standard where the the it's like we can we can't have any indoctrination unless it's our indoctrination that's exactly right they they want it taught in school they they believe that taking prayer and taking religious instruction out of school is the worst thing that america ever did yes it's indoctrination but hey we think it's it's good indoctrination as far as they're concerned, you know. So so yes, it's indoctrination, but it's indoctrination that they like, and they view the other things, the more the humanist, more secular agenda, as evil, as Satan is, as causing harm to society. Uh, they think that people who aren't Christians are just lost, you know, and 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 they just they they have no moral compass, and um, so. Yeah, that, that's why they want Christianity brought into schools. And if they can't get that, they want charter schools and they want to use taxpayer funds to pay for religious charter schools. And that's a movement what we're seeing happening now. It's just happened in Oklahoma for the first time. They're challenging uh, constitutional law by uh, having taxpayer funded relig religious schools. And they're going to challenge, they're going to take it up to the Supreme Court. That's the next thing. And DeSantis is steeped in this religious fundamentalism oh, absolutely and, and he is somebody you know he's he's polling second on the in uh, for the primary potentially i mean he absolutely makes no effort to hide he, he his kind of christian fundamentalism and evangelical yeah. christianity it makes no effort to hide it and i was watching a video of him quoting the bible quoting the bible quoting the bible and it's like to me from where i'm i am i personally don't believe the bible is a thing <laughs> like to me it doesn't mean anything because it, to me it's not true but it's not going to stop me it's not going to be stop me telling somebody else that it's not true but to run a government using these principles it's 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 just becomes it's just very controversial, isn't it? Yeah, and and he'll argue the establishment clause with you. Yeah. I mean, the establishment clause in the First Amendment, the government can't establish a religion, and you know they have a very very narrow interpretation of what that means. Yeah, you know what that means to them is that you just can't have a an official state religion. Yeah. But every other religious uh, entity in, in government life is acceptable to them. So, uh, yeah, they, that's not the way the Supreme Court has interpreted that clause in the past, but they are hoping that this Supreme Court, which is much more conservative, will see it differently. And so that's definitely an issue is they're going to seek to, to restrict the, the establishment clause and, and have it 
interpreted very narrowly by this Supreme Court. We always end up talking about the the evaporating separation of church and state. It just it's like it, it, that's what you're voting for now with MAGA Republicans. You're you're voting for that that kind of Mike Flynn Christian movement, right? Yeah, and make no mistake, like the abortion decision is part of that too. Yeah, so much of the you know the anti-abortion movement is related is uh, relates back to Christianity, you know, and their biblical beliefs. Although it's not in the Bible, you know, it this is what they believe is is part of their teachings, part of part of their Christian beliefs. So, so it it weaves its way into other decisions as well, like abortion. Let's talk about uh, Hunter Biden, not his laptop this time. This time it's a firearm and it's two tax charges. The investigation is complete. He has uh, agreed a plea deal. Uh, and I mean, these are things that would normally like nobody would ever get charged with these types of things. But I suppose they're just one. They want to draw a line under the whole Hunter Biden thing. Right. Tell us about the MAGA reaction to this plea agreement. Yeah, well, of course, the reaction is to lie. I mean, the reaction is Joe Biden is behind this. Joe Biden uh, is prosecuting his political opponent and set up a sweetheart deal for his son. Of course, you know, when you confront them with the facts that the prosecutor who filed these charges, who brought these charges, who made the plea deal was appointed by Donald Trump, is a Donald Trump prosecutor uh, who was held over by Joe Biden. And I, and I think that Merrick Garland wanted a Trump appointed prosecutor, a Republican to handle this particular matter. Um, so it so it worked out quite well. But, you know, with no evidence whatsoever, they claim that Biden was behind this plea deal. Like Biden is the one who called up this prosecutor and said, give my son a break. No, the reality is what he was prosecuted for is because he was on video using drugs. And there's also a receipt for him buying a firearm on the laptop. So they so they took those two things together and made a criminal case out of that. Now, that would never happen. I, I deal with these cases every day where my clients' phones get seized, their cell phones get seized, their laptops. Police go through them with a warrant. They find all kinds of past bad things that they did on there. They never get charged with things that are on their phone or their laptop from the past. Like somebody could be smoking weed in a video on their phone. You're not going to get prosecuted for that. It's only if you get caught with the weed, right? Right. So, so yes, they prosecuted him for something that normally somebody would never get prosecuted for under these circumstances. But I believe that probably the Justice Department felt like they had to they had to prosecute him for something, or else you know these people are not going to leave it alone. But remember, I think I said in our very first show, or, or I said it some on another show that. You know, I thought when Joe Biden first came out and gave his initial statement about all of this months ago, he said, uh, I love my son and my son did nothing wrong. And I I said at the time that was a mistake that Joe Biden should not say my son did nothing wrong. I just think he wasn't aware of what was on the laptop. I've seen the laptop. I've seen everything that's on there. He did plenty wrong. But what he did wrong was in the past, you know, historical things, not anything he got caught doing is what I'm saying. So, so no, Joe should, Joe should be very careful and not talk about this. 
I mean, he really shouldn't. It's he a should natural reaction. I love my parent, son, though, isn't it? That's the what? thing. You always, it's a natural reaction as a parent. Natural to yeah. just want to protect your kids. Yep. Although, but he's president, so he's got to be careful. He has. You know? Although, I was going to say that I don't think that if if the same situation was Donald Trump, I don't think he would have that natural parental reaction to protect his kids. I think he'd just throw them throw them down and be like, he'd be like uh, Take Donald them. Donald Junior who? Yeah, <laughs> Eric exactly. who? Yeah, that Baron, that Bannon. <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> um, I, you mentioned Merrick Garland. Something that uh, was a very interesting article in the New York Times that came out this week about the fact that it's taken a year. There was a year delay for Merrick Garland to yeah. kind of start this investigation. Just tell us about that because it's kind of important, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I, I'm. I was wrong here. <laughs> I was wrong here because I've I've been a Garland defender. I defended him interview after interview, um, just because I have experience in the criminal justice system and I know that investigations can take a long time. And the reason why I defended him was because I thought that the Justice Department was doing that investigation and was working very hard behind the scenes. This is what I believed was going on. I did not, by the way. I'm like the opposite I to know. you. Yeah. I know most yeah. people agreed with you. And yeah. I was in the very much minority defending Garland, but I did. I defended him on Twitter. But I was wrong. You were right. Yeah, it appears that that was not what was happening. Mm. What was happening was they were trying to do an investigation, but Garland was putting the kibosh on it. And it was only the work of the January 6th committee, which was so thorough, that basically shamed Garland and forced him to appoint a special prosecutor. So, so in the end, where I thought, oh, Garland's going to be vindicated in the end, and he's going to be the hero doesn't appear to be the case. It looks like the heroes are going to be the January 6th committee members and Jack Smith. So let's ask why for a second. Why would Merrick Garland not want to go after a former president? Is it that there is a built-in presidential immunity, a cultural immunity, whereas well, you can't really touch the president because it sets a bit of a precedent? And is it, is it one of those situations? Yeah, Merrick Garland is not a political person. He's not politically savvy. He's not ruthless. He's not particularly tough. It's kind of my problem with Mayorkas, to be honest with you. You know, we're getting killed politically on the border issue. And part of the reason is because Mayorkas is pretty weak at defending himself and at defending the policy. And, and it's the same thing with Garland. You know, when Garland testifies in front of Congress, I, I'm not impressed. You know, he doesn't do a very, he's not forceful. He's not aggressive. He, 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 he acts like a judge. Yeah. He acts like a judge, yeah. not an attorney general. And I believe he, he would have been much better on the Supreme Court and his temperament and his attitude is much more suited to be a Supreme Court justice than an attorney general. Do I think he should be fired? No, I don't think he should be fired because I think he's done a good job in many other areas. But in this one, clearly he dropped the ball. And yes, I think it's an institutional thing. It's a thing of it's, it's the gravity of prosecuting a former president, because here's the thing. You can't just prosecute Donald Trump. You pretty much have to prosecute about a dozen other people. So it's basically like decapitating the Republican Party. It's taking the leadership of this entire political movement out. And I think that he was very, very hesitant to do that. And um, But you have to go where the law and the facts take you. But it's so blind, Ron. I mean, it's like, you know, it was Juneteenth when this news came out. It's like it's so blind. 
if you're white and wealthy and rich, then you're like, yeah, well, you know, shouldn't really prosecute. But if you're like, if you're of a minority group and, you know, if you're, you're, or if you're black and your friends are like constantly being pulled over by the police and given a hard time, or if you've got family who are doing prison time for no reason, for like minor weed crimes or something, you know, because, because the justice system has unfairly, you know, is stacked against you socially and culturally and historically then it just makes Garland out to be someone who is so blind to America's history and how white people, yet again, rich white people, get away with it time and time again. I, I think that that now appears to be the way the history of this is going to be written. Uh, I think it's sad. I think he's a nice man. But yeah, I think you're right. Uh, and I've changed my view on that. I, I admit that I was wrong. It's a very good thing that you're able to say that out loud, you know, because a lot, a lot of people would not be able to do that. Um, let's lighten the mood a little bit with that. Uh, there was that moment of uh, uh, Donald Trump after he was arraigned, and then he goes on like a tour of McDonald's and cafes, and he shows up at this. Oh, yes. Is it Cafe Versailles in Florida? Have you been it's there? Very famous. Yes. yes. And he promised that he was going to, like, buy everybody lunch or something. It was, you know, a typical kind of Trump photo op. Uh, and, of course, the Secret Service had been there earlier and they'd been staking it out and they made it look like an impromptu stop. But it wasn't. T tell us the story. So this really started, this story really starts in East Brunswick, Ohio, with the train derailment. Right. And, you know, Trump and his team decided to do really a stunt, a publicity stunt, and and to take advantage of, what those people were going through and fly. He wanted to fly up there and he wanted to get in front of all the cameras that he was up there to help the people in East Brunswick. So as part of that, uh, Jason Miller arranged for him to go to a McDonald's, you know, and to walk in and Big Macs for everybody. And he got so much media out of that free media, local media, you know, they really focused on the Big Mac excursion. And he got so he got so much positive press from that. And so this is now their thing that everywhere Trump goes now, every rally, every appearance, Jason sets up a restaurant or a diner where he can be the common man and meet the people. We see him do it with pizza places, fast food joints, diners. This is the new this is their new thing. And and so he goes in and takes a few photos, food for everybody. I'm buying. And then they leave. So they did this at Versailles, but they got busted because a reporter checked, you know, and said, did anybody pay? I didn't see anybody get any food. No, they didn't. And then, and then the Trump campaign went silent on it for two days, which is definitely not like them. They are very rapid reacting specialists. And if and normally, even if something is true, they're going to be out there denying it immediately. And this they did not deny. They, they finally somewhat denied it three or four days later. It was kind of a half-hearted, oh, no, that's not true. But that, that's, not a, that's not a typical Trump campaign denial. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, um, this is something that we really have to pay attention to are these little diner outings and McDonald's outings. Because if you catch them on things like this, this fake hypocrisy, it really does undermine his whole message that he cares about the average person i would argue that the only thing that donald trump has in common with the average person 
is like calorific fast food. I mean, it's like, it's like the only thing that is of common ground. He loves a burger. He loves his McDonald's. He was once famously quoted, I'll never forget this, as saying that the reason he liked to eat McDonald's all the time is at least you know where it's come from. Yeah. Well, it's funny. <laughs> you know, a couple funny things there. I posted a picture. Jason Miller, by the way, was leaving Versailles with a couple of bags full of Cuban sandwiches. Okay. Right. So Jason Miller was leaving there with sandwiches for him and Trump. Okay. Even though nobody else got anything, they got free stuff. Um, so that's one thing. And the second thing is when, when all these you know, Trump loves McDonald's. Stuff. I always thought that that was exaggerated by the media, you know, yeah. and it was kind of like a thing that everybody liked to make fun of him about. But then, you know, I've heard Guilfoyle talk about it. I've heard his kids talk about it. This is a real thing. Yeah, loves he, it. He really does eat all this garbage all the time. You know, you know that know? feeling you get after you've eaten fast food where Terrible. you just like that kind of regret. He <laughs> must like live in that space the whole time. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, just like living in his regret. Well, you um, know who else? DeSantis too is a fast food junkie. He's he's a chicken sandwich junkie. He's a he's a connoisseur. So um, the I just read a story about when Popeye's Chicken came out with their with their chicken sandwich. The the first day they debuted it, he sent aides running all around. Uh, Tallahassee area to the different Popeyes trying trying to bring, find some chicken sandwiches because they were all sh uh, stole, uh, sold out. So that appears to be a, a common trait among uh, right-wing politicians these days is, um, is an addiction to fast food. Let's talk about the man in the hat. I always call him that. John Eastman. This is oh, the, yes. <laughs> the man in the hat. This is the, the Trump lawyer who famously took the stage at the January 6th rally uh, in the day of the riot, but before Trump took to the stage, and he basically was like the warm-up man, gave a whole load of you know political propaganda with kind of as the kind of legal representative, and um, he's you know finally getting his comeuppance. Um, I actually have a little clip of this, so maybe I'll, I'll play the clip and then we can talk about. All right. It deter them. They went ahead and filed a notice of disciplinary charges uh, in, uh, in January. Um, and, uh, and now the trial begins on Tuesday. And it's a full-fledged trial. I mean, they're pulling out all the stops. Uh, it's really extraordinary the amount of taxpayer resources that are going in to, to trying to disprove claims uh, uh, that, that I made, um, or, or more importantly, that I had no basis whatsoever for making claims that election officials violated the law. Uh, acted unconstitutionally in the conduct of the election. And so that's what the trial will be. And the bar is calling me as its first witness on uh, on Tuesday. And and the judge has ordered that it's going to be live streamed. So it'll be quite a quite a media circus, I suspect. I hope it'll be a circus. And I wonder if he'll be wearing his hat because he was sans hat just then. I mean, look, this is a guy who got up and lied to everybody about the election being stolen. And in addition to Donald Trump saying, let's go to the Capitol and I'll go with you, was one of the instigators for the insurrection. Yeah. So let me give you some background and let me give you some breaking news that's happening today on this. Yeah. Um, first, the background. So when the election lawsuits all failed and they realized that none of the Rudy stuff was going to work. OK, so this was mid-December. Bar quits. Esper's fired. Everything is starting to come into place to do to cook up something on January 6th to try and block the certification of the election. And there were two camps, two legal camps 
that were pushing Trump in two different directions. One camp was the Rudy, Sidney Powell, Michael Flynn, Patrick Byrne camp. They were pushing a plan to where uh, uh, to where um, they would see, um, invoke the Insurrection Act, declare martial law, seize voting machines, and rerun the election in six states. That was their plan. They got the hearing in the White House. If you remember from the J6 hearings, the White House counsels all were screaming at him, threatening to resign. They got in Flynn's face. They were scra- shouting at each other. That's what that was about. The competing plan at the same time was being pitched by John Eastman. And that was a more, uh, a more palatable plan, let's say, because it didn't involve invoking martial law. His plan was just arguing, Penn should decertify, send it back to the states, and the state legislature should vote on an sending an alternate slate of electors, the fake electors the fake scheme, electors, yeah. right? And that's the one that Trump decided to go with. The reason why Eastman is in trouble right now, and here's the breaking news. The breaking news is right now, as we're doing this show, Mike Pence's lawyer is testifying against John Eastman. And he is, he is testifying in his disbarment. And what they, well, the reason why they're calling him as a witness is they, have, they found an email that Pence's lawyer had sent to Eastman back when this was all going down, saying, your legal theories, I've done the research, I've talked to judges, I've talked to everyone. This has no basis in law and fact. You are making shit up. This is not legit. This is not a legitimate legal argument. There's no basis for this, for this argument. And yet, Eastman continued to push it to Trump because he was telling Trump, what Trump wanted to hear. And so this is why Eastman is being disbarred because a lawyer cannot bring, I've had clients who tell me, just file a motion, just file something. And I say, no, I'm not gonna do that. I have to have a good faith legal basis to file this motion. I'm not gonna do it just because you want me to. And this is why Eastman's in trouble, is that he came up with an idea. It wasn't even Trump that came up with this idea. He came up with the idea and pitched it to Trump and Trump bought it. But and didn't he so also write it down? Lawyers can't do that. I mean, this is the other thing. It was he he like wrote it down. It was like a it was written as a plan. Yeah. It's like yeah. it's a document. It's like this is how we overturn the election. I mean, it's yeah. not it's not even I mean, this is the thing about the coup, and I really enjoy calling it a coup because, you know, we tend to associate coups with with shithole countries, right? But you know, this is America. And there was a coup in plain sight. And Eastman, I mean, the other one that you describe, I refer to it as the Overstock coup, right? Because, of course, it was the, uh, the, the former boss of uh, Overstock, that... Um, Patrick Byrne. Patrick yeah. Byrne, who you mentioned. Yeah. And there's a very good PBS documentary about the, the Patrick Byrne and Mike Flynn aspect of this. I don't know if you've seen the documentary, but it basically covers... They, they had a plane and they would fly all over the country trying to con- convince people to kind of go along with the plan. And I live this. I, I don't need to see a documentary. I, no. I, I lived, lived it in real lived time. It. Yeah, it's just it's a very it's a very well-made documentary for us mortals, you know, who, who don't who don't live in the in the in the same space as you. But my point is is that none of this happened by accident. Like all of these plans to overturn the election and to, you know, a lot of it hinged on Mike Pence and he all didn't did. Didn't he take advice from who was the who was that um, judge that he took advice from? Judge Ludig. In fact, that's right. Th- he was mentioned 
by Mike Pence's lawyer in this email yeah. to John Eastman. He said, I talked to Judge Ludi. He, he cited all the different people that he talked to, and they all say you're nuts. You're crazy. You have nothing. You have no argument here. Um, and so, yeah. Um, so, yes, both plans depended on Pence not certifying the election either way. But different plans had different um, people in place to move forward from after that was done. But it all hinged on Pence decertifying. And that's why a lot of J6 conspiracy theorists um, believe that the the insurrection was a setup by the FBI, because what they're saying is that the rioters ruined their plan, that their plan was in place and they believed it was going to work. But once it worked by having so many people in the House vote to send it back to the states and refused to, to, to go along with the, uh, the electoral slates. So, so that's why Pence had to, they believe that the, the insurrection caused a lot of House members and senators to fl- change their mind and to support certification. And, and what you're describing was, is what Peter Navarro talks about, right? Peter Navarro, again, one of, the, one of Trump's aides, I can't remember what job Peter Navarro had. He was given... Trade advisor. Trade, that's right. Yeah. He would go on MSNBC with like Ari Melba and and explain and expose this whole thing after January 6th as if it was a legitimate idea. Like he was convinced that it wasn't illegal and that this is what they planned to do because they knew the election had been stolen. It's like he was totally brainwashed and was happy to keep going on TV and exposing the plan. Yeah, well... I was the one who posted the first Green Bay sweep Peter Navarro clip the first time he said it on Bannon's show. Right. And it kind of made national news. And then Ari picked up on it, invited him on the show, and he went on and he made a fool of himself. And, and Ari did, again. A, did a tremendous job with his questioning <laughs> of him and pinning him yeah, down. But yeah, their, their plan was, it's just kind of like a Bannon-Navarro plan was, to after Pence refused to certify or wouldn't certify, it would then go back to these six state legislatures and the state legislatures would vote on who won that state. In other words, Flynn's plan was to rerun the election in those states and to have USAID, which is a government agency, and the military oversee that election. Their plan, the the Green Bay Sweep, Navarro, Eastman plan was cleaner. It was, we're going to send it back and the legislature is just going to use their plenary power to say, we, we believe that Donald Trump won Pennsylvania. Because, because those so many states that Biden won, like Arizona and Pennsylvania, had Republican majorities in their state legislatures. Georgia, give the, too. Give me the name of that group again that, that Mike Flynn wanted to bring in to, to over, you know, to... to because, USAID. Right. So that is an organization that is designed for america to go and support nations that have questionable elections right where we go to those other countries and and we police their elections for them to guarantee and support democracy and and flynn wanted to use them in america you've you've hit on something very (laughs) uh smart there anthony very smart very few people have ever picked up on this part of the plan and you're absolutely correct Flynn's, their whole plan was, yes, that they were going to use the agency, USAID, which, which is what the, the agency that, where we help 
third world countries basically that have problems in their country having free and fair elections. We help monitor and supervise their elections. He was going to use that agency here in the United States for the first time to run elections. And, and the other part of this plan, by the way, was that Trump had appointed as the new USAID director a crony of his, a personal injury lawyer, to be in charge of it six months before the election. So these, these plans were being put in place to, to overturn this election months before the election even happened. And that was one way. And these are things that have been not very widely reported or yeah. talked about at all. When I, when I talked to the J6 committee and they interviewed me, I brought this up with them and, and informed them about this. This is, was part of their plan. But I don't think they ever really got into that part of it because they, they sort of, the way they're investing, their investigation stopped with Pence and the fake elector plot and it kind of ended there. They didn't, they didn't game it out to what these guys' plan was past that. But that was the plan. There were so many plans in place, and yet there was no plan for the National Guard to be on standby. That was the, that's the irony of all of this, right? The National Guard being right there could have prevented this, this riot and, and the kind of the physical version of this. Because you know, to me, there's very much two January 6s, right? There's the, the one happening inside the building with the, the fake electors and everything hinging on Mike Pence. And then you've got this external kind of desperate final last act which is right we'll just send the mob in and we'll just go and grab this by the throat one important point to make here is that i absolutely believe that many of these people that were behind these plots did not want these people to storm the capital yeah there were some that did there were some that did there were some that wanted violence and disruption but there were many who did not because they believed that their plan was going to work without that. And they believe that when these idiots and these morons stormed the Capitol, it ruined their plan. They, they believe it did more harm than good. We made, uh, Midas Touch made this amazing five minute video. Uh, search for it after you've watched us here today. It's called A Coup in Plain Sight. Search for it on YouTube and watch A Coup in Plain Sight. It's a five minute chronological video of what happened the day before and the lead up to, to January 6th. If you haven't seen it, it's when you put it all in order. Because, you know, up until then, it was all scattergun. You know, this happened, then there was a bit of this. But the, when you look at how the plan was formulated and how it played out, it really kind of brings clarity to what was quite a complex and confusing couple of days. Let's talk about uh, Donald Trump and uh, his gladiator games. This is uh, a very kind of another one of these kind of in the shadows videos where Trump likes to kind of pretend that he's some kind of evil dictator. Why do you think he likes to be filmed in the dark? Is it I don't know. I can't. Don't answer that. We'll just. <laughs> I don't know. Just throw it out there. Just you've got all access to all the money in the world. Like, put some lights on in the room. I don't get it. Anyway, tell us about the Gladiator Games. Well, this is. I think it's kind of like his answer to Juneteenth because he kind of put it. I think he put it out on Juneteenth, um, which is that what we're going. What he wants to do is he wants to basically be Emperor Nero. <laughs> he wants to, you know, Nero was was famous for 
bread and circuses to distract the mob the way if people aren't happy in the country or in the empire and they're dissatisfied with their lives or their food or whatever you have bread and circuses you have game you distract them you divert their attention so what trump want uh, proposed in one of these insane policy videos and you know i've said that that the press needs to report on these and pick these up the press did not report this video at all even though it's completely insane they just complete they had just ignored it which is dumb but he proposed he said as president what he was going to in 2025 he's going to have one solid year of festivals and games yeah i have the clip shall i show, shall I show yeah, the clip go, go ahead because you know there's no point in you impersonating donald trump when sure. he does a he does a great impression of himself here it is <laughs> Three years from now, the United States will celebrate the biggest and most important milestone in our country's history. 250 years of American independence. What a great country. And we have to keep it that way. But that's why, as a nation, we should be preparing for a most spectacular birthday party. We want to make it the best of all time. Here is my plan to give America's founding in 1776, the incredible anniversary it truly deserves. On day one, I will convene a White House task force called Salute to America 250. It will be responsible for coordinating with state and local governments to ensure not just one day of celebration, but an entire year of festivities across the nation, starting on Memorial Day 2025 and continuing through July 4th, 2026. Do you think trans athletes will be allowed to take part, Ron? Here's what we know. Here, here's what we know this is going to look. These are going to be Trump games. <laughs> these are not going to be, you know, yeah. these are not going to be America. This is going to be all Trump, all about Trump. You know, this is his desire to have military parades and, you know, where he's the hero, he's the conquering hero. So, yeah, he basically... Um, this this is just nonsense. This is just fantasy. This is just insanity. Um, and and I and I again, for the life of me, I don't understand why the press doesn't pick up on these things, because I think the average American low information voter who doesn't really pay attention to elections needs to see these things, needs to see him talking about electing principals of schools um, because he's saying some really, you know, building 10 new freedom cities. He says some really wild stuff in these videos, and they're just not reported. But I do like the fact that Brett Baer uh, brought up one of his a couple things in these policy videos and asked him about it, and he couldn't even defend them because he didn't even understand his own policy. He was talking about the death penalty for drug dealers, and Brett Baer said, "You know, well, wait a minute." Some of the people that you pardoned would have been executed under your own policy plan, and he didn't even understand it because he doesn't write these things. They're yeah. being written for him. So if the press asks him about these things, he doesn't even know anything about them. He didn't know the name of the woman that he'd pardoned. That was the thing that kind of right. struck right with me. Right. And then, and then, the interviewer goes, "Well, you know, she would be executed under your plan." He goes. What plan? <laughs> yeah, right. and then he goes, well, starting from now, starting from yeah. now. I mean, did, did America elect America's dumbest man? I mean, is that what happened? And, and you and I are having to, like, debrief on it five years later. He, he's the Elmer Gantry. He's a con man. He's a huckster. He's, he's a charlatan, you know. He's, he's just constantly trying to throw shiny objects out there and hoping people will buy them, you know. 
Finally, I want to talk about, because we have to finish in a, in a few minutes, um, I want to talk about the House Oversight Committee's investigation into President Joe Biden and his son's alleged bribery. Well, Giuliani had a, a whistleblower who apparently has died, and there's apparently audio recordings of Biden accepting a bribe, except uh, Comer and Grassley and the FBI, they haven't got the tapes. They thought they had the tapes, but they can't get the tapes. Uh, tell us about this. Lev Parnas, by the way, wrote the best thread on this. It's very short on Twitter. If if anybody has a chance to go read it, Lev knows some of the you know Lev was Rudy's wingman there for a while yeah. till he got <laughs> prosecuted. This is this so, is my Lev Parnas impression, by the way. Yeah, Lev's Lev's hilarious. I in talk every with- in every photo with him and Trump and heads of state, always the thumbs. Love it. <laughs> Yeah. So Lev's, you know, he's like Michael Cohen. He's had a complete 180 and he's on the right side of things now. So, uh, yeah, but I mean, he'll tell you like, he'll tell you this is all nonsense. I mean, Rudy's never even talked to these people. Some of these people have been dead for years that they're bringing up. Um, they're, they're, they're mentioning these tapes that they supposedly have. No one's ever heard the tapes. We don't even know if the guy who claims to have recorded the tapes, we don't even know if he even exists. They don't know anything. They're just throwing garbage out there. They they like these fantastical, wild allegations in these background FBI reports that they can throw out there and get people all excited. And then when you pin them down and say, "All right, well, let's show me the show me the tapes. Let us hear them. Call the witnesses." Oh, we're we're working on it. We're f- trying to tra- track them down. We're trying to find so it's them. It's all dist- it's all distraction. I've got the it clip is. of of Coma being interviewed about this, where he basically admits that. There's no evidence. This is just an investigation in search of a crime. With respect to the tapes, look, it mentioned in the FBI form that the oligarch had uh, 17 tapes of Biden, two with Joe Biden, accepting the bribe, that he used that as an insurance and, and this, policy. This oligarch the, the is F- a high-ranking, was a high-ranking member uh, or owner of Burisma? Yes, that is exactly right. So have you, you had have the you tape had any that contact you just showed. With him? Unfortunately, nobody's had any contact with him for the last three years. You know, the the MSNBC makes fun of me when I said that there are a lot of people that were involved in uh, the Biden shenanigans that that are are currently missing. But with with respect to this oligarch, we think we know where he is. Uh, He just hasn't been seen in public in a long time. So I'm just (laughs) I'm just looking for the oligarch. (laughs) It's just these the these guys. They're such clowns. And, and see, the plan was to roll all of this out in 2020, right before the election, when you didn't really have time to rebut any of this stuff. But that got kiboshed. And so now they're rolling it out now. But the problem is it's too early. It's too something like this. You have to spring a week before the election for it to work. But now there's too much time for all of this stuff to get debunked. That's their problem. Okay. Listen, we have to finish, but, you know, what a pleasure. Always, uh, like, hanging out with you for an hour on a Wednesday, and uh, let's do it again next week. Ron Filipkowski, thank you so much. Sounds great. See you next week. I'm Anthony Davis. Follow us both on Twitter. Catch me every day on the 5-Minute News podcast and on Sunday hosting the weekend show here with Midas Touch. (laughs) 